Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft in Texas. And today we have literally a huge cabal of guests. We're doing the Craft Plugin Developer Roundtable. So I'm going to try and take a deep breath and introduce all of the luminaries. Please call it the Plugin Development Cabal. <laughs> Can that be our episode title? You can't tell people about the Cabal. That's <laughs> the first rule of the Cabal. Oh, oh, come on, everybody knows about the Cabal. All right. So let me introduce everybody, and I'm going to do it one by one, and you guys can say hello when you are on here. So first we have Josh Crawford, all the way from the other side of the planet, hanging upside down from Verb.io. How you doing, Josh? Hey, good. Thanks, Andrew. We've got Ben Croker from Put Your Lights On. Hello. Hello, Ben. We've Hello, got there. Ben Parizic from Sprout Plugins. Good day. And we have Nate Eiler from Flip Top, Flip Box Digital. I'm sorry. Hi there. I was thinking Flip Top like the, nah, anyway. We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and Lindsay DiLoretto, spelled with a capital D, capital L, one R and one D, <laughs> DiLoretto. Yep. From Double Secret Agency. Thanks for being so specific. Well, I just wanted to make sure, you know. <laughs> Much appreciated. So this is going to be a kind of super nerdy, self-serving episode in that we've got a ton of people on here that do plug-in development. And we thought it would be fun to just kind of talk about plug-in development for craft in general. We're going to talk about technical stuff. We're going to talk about business stuff. We're going to talk about pricing, like, you know, a wide range of stuff. And it's also going to be an opportunity for anyone here, if you want to ask questions of anyone else, like this is not an interview. It's a free-form discussion. And we've got our faithful Patrick Harrington, who is going to make sure that he moderates this properly and breaks up any fights that break out, right? Yeah, got to raise some tans. You're going to <laughs> you're going to jump in between us, right? Yep. All right, good. So I, I guess I'll just kind of lead it off with something that I am curious about. And if anyone wants to chime in, please do. I'm curious about everyone's experience from developing craft plugins for craft two and what it was like to convert those over to craft three and to kind of get familiar with it and, and start doing stuff with it. I know, I know, Lindsay, you had some fun with that, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, my entire process of converting craft two plugins to craft three plugins was about nine months. That includes five commercial plugins and like seven or eight free plugins. So, you know, start to finish, I would say this, the best thing was that by the end, I started to really get a sense of some patterns. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something that you all already know, which is that craft three is so much better architected and things are so much more yeah. intentional that when you are developing for craft three, you really feel like things are going in the right place for the right reason. Whereas with Craft 2 plugins, there was a lot more like, well, what feels right to you? So it's been a really nice transition from that broad perspective. And I know we have Michael here as well, who is in the thick of converting stuff over to Craft 3. I am in the very, very thick. I'm really enjoying Craft 3 for a lot of the same reasons. I really like Yi 2 as an underlying framework. Like Lindsay said, just so much more intentional than, than Yi 1. And that shows up in the ways that Pixel and Tonic have adopted, like 
the patterns from the underlying framework in in their own designs having our own you know just like everyday php cleanliness stuff you know just like having our own namespaces and having the entire code base like at annotated so that methods and properties come up as auto-completable in the ide and uh, i don't know it's it's been a very pleasurable experience working with craft three on on the business side it's been very complicated but on the tech side it's been very enjoyable for me to to be moving all my plugins yeah uh, who else ben croker what what are you how, how are you going are you still converting anything over to craft three or no i mean for me it was quite a painless process um i mean like like michael said developing with craft three it just feels so much more enjoyable in hindsight, looking back at what it was like with Craft 2, that once I got used to it, porting things over, which I didn't have too much to port over, was a rather painless experience. I mean, what I did do early on in, in the beta, I think one of the first betas I I made the, of Craft 3, I made the decision to build uh, this campaign plugin, which was kind of turned into this nine-month project just to get it to 1.0. Um, but I learned a huge amount uh, through doing that and then, you know, at that stage, when I decided to to update the other plugins, it, I was already familiar with everything, and it was it went quite smoothly. And I didn't mind doing it too much because the result is just much nicer code to work with. Yeah, Nate, how about you? Yeah, we um, we built a lot of custom plugins on Craft too, just for client purposes, and and then when we started to hear about the the talk of the craft three beta and that came out really early. I mean, that was in beta for, was it over a year, year and a half or so. And, uh, you know, having some just ye experience in ye two specifically for custom apps. Um, we made the decision not even to start building on craft two and just kind of wait and then, uh, turned into a long wait. And, um, our, (laughs) our, uh, our experience with craft three is, is much stronger than it has been with craft two, just because, um, we kind of threw all of our cards into the craft three bucket. Mm. Um, and it was, it, it was a lot more enjoyable just because there's not as much special sauce going into like what's happening in, in craft itself. They've kind of reverted back to a lot of the E functionality, which is really nice yep. and, and easy to kind of follow. So, yeah, I mean, I've personally found it, it's hard to go back to craft two. There's all these little syntactic sugar methods that I've forgotten because I just rely on like proper auto completion now. Um, ben Parizek, you had, yeah, I think, you know, with Sprout, you had some of the largest, earliest plugins. How's that been, you know, making the, the move from two to three? Yeah, we, well, you know, we've been learning a lot the whole time through. We probably start, we've probably been doing this for a year and a half or more at this point, converting plugins. And if, if that all goes as planned, we hope to have the last major element type we have released before the end of the year here. But it, I, we started early. I think we started kind of halfway through the beta in hopes to kind of get ahead of it. And then as Nate said, it kind of dragged on and a lot of things changed and we found ourselves kind of between a lot of big architectural decisions that we were making and, and then craft three was developing and we kind of had to re-architect a few things a couple of times along there. So I think if I went back, I, I'd probably delay when we started a bit and let it settle a bit more. And I feel I'm looking 
I'm looking at the same types of decisions here with the craft 3.1 editions mm. and config and all of this stuff going, do we, well, beta's out now. Do we jump on that now or do we wait a month or two and just kind of see how he see how others handle it first before we're the ones kind of redoing everything <laughs> twice. Through the right. I'm curious to hear if Josh has anything to say on this as well, but I wanted to, to piggyback off of what you were saying, Ben, I started converting plugins over very early and it was interesting because things were still changing. Right. I'm sure you remember that. In terms of like, yeah. no, we're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way, which in the end, like I'm totally fine with it because I want them to settle on the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it did sort of make it interesting doing it. And then I had the added complication of, I was doing the plugin factory stuff where it was generating the scaffolding. So every time that there were oh, changes, you had to gotta go back in and, and do that too. How about, how about you, Josh? Like, I mean, you went to the extreme of not just saying, I'm gonna convert my plugins over, you founded a company around building craft three plugins, right? What's yeah. what's up with verb.io? Yeah, why not? Well, just to just to throw an extra complication in there. <laughs> um, yeah, look, all, all really good comments actually. There's probably not sort of too much to add to that. You know, the, yeah, it's been it's been great using craft three. I suppose the only thing to add with that is um, a lot of people use PHP Storm um, mm. to their workflow. I I actually don't. That's probably the unpopular opinion at the moment just because I haven't had time to actually uh, dive into it properly. But I think that's 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 taught a lot of people some really good best practices and it's just kind of helped them generally in their general PHP development. So um, I think that's been great. But, yeah, yeah, we're um, we're still working through all our plugins. We're, we're almost there, getting them into Craft 3. But it's, all, it's, it's just been a great opportunity to be able to just, you know, for, for the – plug-in specific functionality you can review it and you can refactor everything and just give it a chance to you know retackle things in a certain way so yeah it's been it's been good but you actually founded a company like mm. you started io specifically to do this and you used your skills from uh developing client sites to develop a really slick nice website for your plugins and stuff mm. and, and this is something that you know, I, I hopefully everyone will hear we'll talk about is, is there an economic case for doing this? Like, <laughs> are you, are you making money, you know, building a, a company around building the plugins? Are you hmm. hoping to get that revenue directly from the plugins? Or is it also custom development that you do in addition to that? Or, or what's the deal? Yeah, so, um, yeah, look, most of our plugins were um, <clears throat> either just little projects that we've been working on on the side or done for client stuff. And yeah, look, the decision was made oh, yeah, a bit over a year ago, I guess, to give that a bit more weight and to sort of jump, dive full on in there and just be like, yep, we're going to, we're going to really just focus on craft plugins, maybe a little bit of, you know, we do web apps and we do, you know, react native apps and a few other sort of bits and pieces to keep things going. Um, yeah, look, you raised a, a good point about the custom development. We have been doing a bit of custom development, this year to you know get some um or well, get some cash in really um mm -hmm. and that's either been just for clients specifically for custom modules or plugins or you know additional features to plugins um that's actually been for, you know it's been great for the money side of things you know you get some extra cash as opposed to um i guess the smaller plugin sales but it's actually kind of probably hindered the team a little bit in terms of actually getting stuff 
done, um, mm. supporting our plugins or developing new plugins, developing new features. So it's it's actually probably something that we're going to focus less on next year, which is great because it just means we'll be able to focus on our actual plugins a bit more. But uh, yeah, some, so that's that's just sometimes what you have to do. You have to take on custom development jobs, client work to to be able to manage it. So yeah, Gerb's its own little thing and we're doing plugins, making some cash, having, having fun. You know, I, I think that that's something that's really common that, you know, maybe the casual listener might not realize, which is that virtually every single plugin developer is still building client websites. So there's, I, I really can't think of anybody off the top of my head who has done such a good job with their plugins. They're making so much money off their plugins that they're just all in on plugins and they do no client work. I, I, I don't think there's anybody in this room right now who's not doing client work because their plugins are doing so well. No, and I think that clients are driving a lot of that, right? So the clients are creating these great problems that then we're building plugins for. And, you know, we'll add a level of abstraction to that so it's not specific entirely to them. But how many times do you have a client ask you for something and then you're like, let's turn this into a plugin because I'm tired of building custom ones? That's, that's the real joy I find in the plugin development too. It's it's that taking that problem and making it a reusable solution. I would say that probably every single one of my plugins has originated from a need that I've either seen uh, working on a client side or that I've been building my own site and I've seen, okay, yeah, this is this is a real need. But I think the, the client work, I, I don't build websites anymore, but I still do client work in the form of custom plugin development. And I think that's essential just to understand end users' needs and how they use things and... Uh, what issues and pain points they're faced with, and and without that, I, I feel like I'm a bit out of the loop. You know, I'm I'm developing plugins to solve problems that I'm not really fully aware of. So I think it's yeah, I think it's essential. Yeah, I, I think that every single plugin that I've written has come out of a need, either my own need or needs for clients. And so I I think that that is a probably the essence of just about every plugin that people have created in one form or another, right? Either you found that you were doing something over and over again, or your clients had a specific need. And then you said, hmm, you know, I wonder how I can turn this from something that solves this person's specific need to something that it solves a, uh, a general problem that other people can then use it, right? And that's what a plugin is, right? You're just packaging up that functionality. Yeah. Is there anyone who is trying to make more of a move into getting away from client services and Doing, you know, focusing more just on, on plugins and commercial sales? I mean, that's the dream, but there's no, it's like Josh said, you got to make the money, right? If, <laughs> um, if the money's not coming in, you could spend all day building plugins and then be living out of your car, you know? So <laughs> at some point you have to make the money to, it, you, you do the thing that makes the money, which is the client work. And then you use that as a jumping off point, like Andrew was just saying, to fill in the gaps. And then you sell those gap fillers. And that's, it's kind of, it's a supplementary income, I think, for the vast majority of, of developers, plugin developers. Yeah, I'm also not sure that, speaking from a pragmatic point of view, if the community is, is big enough to support uh, somebody doing purely plugin sales full time. Um, Gutenberg just came out, though. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like somebody else's problem. <laughs> we are recording on Gutenberg Day. 
<laughs> well, I, I think it's a reasonable thing to talk about, though, because in the world press, uh, sorry, the WordPress world, there definitely are people that that's all they do, right? People in the word, WordPress world, there are developers that do nothing but develop and create plugins, right? When what two thirds of the internet runs on WordPress, you have just a that. third. A right. third, sorry, a third of the internet <laughs> runs on WordPress. You have that user base right. to sell to. I mean, Craft has a solid user base for being five, six years old. But again, it's only five, six years old. And the tens or even hundreds of thousands of people that are using it just aren't enough to keep a plugin developer fully sustained on plugins alone. But would that be a goal for anyone here, right? Like, would you, Lindsay? Yes. If tomorrow you develop plugins to the point where you could make enough money from them that you didn't have to do client work, would you stop doing client work altogether? Almost certainly. Yeah. I would <laughs> much rather be – because plugins are fun, right? I mean, I think everyone here would agree with that. Plugins are oh, – look, there's always the hard problems. But when you're not dealing with the hard problem, you're solving fun challenges. And it really gets to the heart of this, oh, uh, wouldn't it be cool if I – solve the problem this way, or it would be useful to the most people if I configured it this way. And that's where the fun is. I also like, and this is a little bit of a digression, I also really like the idea of being able to sell a product to hundreds or thousands of people instead of having one client who will pick up the phone and call you and tell you what they don't like. Right. And you have a different kind of client, right? So you're not dealing with you're primarily dealing with people that are your people, right? That are their tech people. They have your experience and it's a different kind of relationship that can be, it can be pleasant. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, know? that's your customers are other web developers. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have so, experience with my plugin customers picking up the phone and telling me all sorts of things they don't like. <laughs> so I don't think that that problem necessarily goes away. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we like, on, on my end, I certainly am trying to move Top Shelf Craft hard towards being a, a developer resources business much more than a client services business. Yeah. I mean, you're always I, I, clients. It's just which, which clients and in what way. Yeah. I, I have to do a mea culpa real quick here. So <laughs> I'm an idiot. I invited Mark Hewitt from Happy Cog <laughs> on the show. Did not that put him is idiotic. Why would you ever do that? I know. I know. I don't know why I would invite Mark, um, <laughs> but I, I invited him on in developers in the cabal. And I forgot to add him to the Trello card. So I never sent him the announcement <laughs> today. So we already started recording and then he sends me a message like, uh, so are we still doing this thing, Mark. I'm so sorry. Are you there, Mark? I am. Sorry, I am Mark. Now. Hi, everyone. All right. Hey, welcome. Uh, hey, there he is. <laughs> so, Mark, we're doing this kind of free form. So just jump in when you see an opening or raise your hand if you really have something that you want to say to bring it to people's attention. So anyway, I, I'm sorry for that derail. That was just me being an idiot. So <laughs> we got him back on. But yeah, I mean, for myself personally, I think I will still always be doing some client work. And I don't really see plugin development as that different from client work. I've just changed where in the pyramid I'm doing the work and I've changed kind of who the client is, but still I have clients, right? I mean, all of the agencies and developers that use my product, they're my client, right? And Ben, you got something to say on that? Yeah, I find that we, we've kind of split out our, our plugin business as a separate brand 
to kind of let it evolve as it evolves, whether that becomes slowly independent or, or does right. its own thing. But I, I find that it's more like internal work. It is not necessarily plugins. It could be your own website, but a client project kind of comes and goes. A lot of times it's dependent on a lot of decision makers that you may or may not have influence over. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get your internal projects and they kind of give you a whole different way to focus and revisit a problem over and over again as all these other projects move in and out of your life and change their budgets and focuses and, and things. So it's nice It's nice to work hard for six months with clients and then kind of come up for a breath of fresh air and realize, okay, now we can get back to like really improving that problem we were trying to solve before and it didn't go away. It's still right where we left it and we can, we can make progress from where we left off and we're only at our own whim now. <laughs> right. Well, what, what about you, uh, Josh and, and Ben Croker? Like, would you give up doing client work if, if plugins were making you enough money to support yourself? Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of the idea with Verb. So we, uh, I also do work with um, a studio, Creative Studio S Group, and they're much more, you know, the typical client. You've got your end product, you develop your website, and you, you know, you've got that client sort of thing. So, so that's really why we've created that separate business to, yeah, mm-hmm. basically purely be just essentially no clients, um, which is right. kind of the dream. The craft community being so small, it's it's we're still working out whether or not we can be self-sustainable based on our plug-in sales. But it's at this point, I don't think we're quite there yet. But it's you know could be different next year. So yeah, I, I think yeah we'll see how it goes. But yeah, yeah, I would say that put your lights on is about halfway there. And in saying that though, that's it's still not my goal. It's not something I'm I'm striving for because. I don't know. I feel like I would lose connection uh, with people if I was just, you know, sitting in sitting in a room developing plugins that I thought would be solving problems for other people, but but not really being connected to those people. So I think that the client work really brings me back to what are people struggling with, and uh, like I said, those are that's the source of the best ideas I have for plugins. Does it follow that Pixel and Tonic should do client work? Well, they are. Yeah, they are. I believe. I mean, they, I mean, they they have begun a client services division for at least partially exactly that reason. A wholly owned subsidiary of Digital Locations, I believe. Right? Uh, you're <laughs> confusing your current events. <laughs> oh, right. That's Ellis Lab and Expression Engine. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so in their case, in Pixel and Tonic's case, it's more about enterprise service levels support and knowing their clients at the higher level or well, they're not building small small web shop or small websites but they are trying to build a platform that's usable in a lot of ways like that and i think one of the more challenging things we face in plugins is it's really the like sometimes it's the larger project that has really more advanced needs about how you're integrating with apis or a particular multilingual scenario or something that's not not going to have been created by somebody over a weekend that right. brings you to it. It's not, a general, it's not a general case. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think Pixel and Tonic are doing much more than just, you know, building and shipping a CMS, right? They're developing a, a whole ecosystem around that. They've also got the commerce plugin and the, and now the partners program and the plugin store. Right. right. So, so well, they, yeah. the partners program also goes, I think into the bucket of like ways that they're staying grounded to 
customers at all levels and the sorts of things that are getting built on craft and the kinds of questions that are getting asked, right? Like their involvement in hooking potential clients up with potential partners and stuff like that sort of gives them visibility on those sorts of, of conversations. Yeah. And I, and I think too, I mean, if you think about Ben Coker mentioned, this is like who you're listening to and, you know, coming from a services world, primarily your clients are who you're listening to. And it takes a little bit of an adjustment to, to like switch that and, and then say, I'm listening to the people using the plugins, which is, I think what, you know, the pixel and tonic model is, is, you know, we're the developers using their application. They're listening to us the same way that we listen to our clients. And so, mm-hmm. you know, having them per se be a, in client services isn't, I don't know that their primary point of, of wanting to put focus because there's so many other people using that application and, and that's where they're getting those ideas the same way that we get those from the clients. And the, the scary part is, you know, when you're making that switch to go f- into fully plug-in development, it's like now you're kind of changing that ear to the developer side. And and while you're in between, you're, you're balancing between clients and you know, the developers who are using your plugin. So it's it's definitely a, a nice dance there to kind of figure out. And now, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the plugin development that you do. I think you kind of mentioned it. It's primarily custom stuff for clients. Are you looking at productizing stuff a little bit more or are you more focused on custom solutions that you build for clients? Yeah, I mean, everything stems from clients um, and we prioritize our client services just because that's where our business profitability comes from. And when we've had clients who've requested the same things over and over, then we started to build those into plugins. But the the plugin market is really new to us. And so entering that, we we really don't have a lot of experience. And so we're, we're you know, relatively cautious, but we are coming out with uh, a lot of commercial plugins and it's just at the point of polishing those to get them into um, a state that other developers can use. And that is a daunting task. I mean, it's until you actually go through that and get the documentation, you know, clean, make sure that you're, you're testing code. If you're, you know, writing tests for your code, uh, it takes a lot of time. And, and we, I think we underestimated how much time that does take to, you know, get a commercial plugin out in, into the wild and, and feel confident that, you know, you're not going to get a ton of support requests coming through because there are, are a lot of bugs or you didn't foresee a future that, or a feature, excuse me, that, uh, you know, is pretty critical. So, yeah. So one question, how do, um, how are you all looking at plugin pricing? Yeah. I know some folks on here have a number of free plugins, have paid plugins. You know, you, you can hear from people that are at times frustrated that there is a large paid ecosystem with craft while some other CMSs maybe not as much. How are you all handling that? And and what do you say to people who complain mm. that you are charging for your plugins? Has anyone well, seen that, that at all? That's an easy one to answer. The, the easy answer to that is <laughs> how much time does it take you to build the thing that I was going to sell you? <laughs> right. Right. If it was going to take you two hours or three hours or three days or three weeks to build the thing that I'm going to sell you for 50 bucks, just buy my thing for 50 bucks and get on with your life. Right. And logically that makes sense, but I still see people and, and this may seem as self-serving because we're all plugin developers. Of course, we're going to say you should buy the plugin, but I still, I've seen people spend just hours and hours and hours to avoid paying for a $49 plugin. Well, that one's easy too, because those people (laughs) You do not want as your customers. <laughs> well, aren't if, we all those people? That's how we all started. 
Well, we're those people in the sense that <laughs> – so the way I look at it is this. So we're building a client website. The client website needs something. Right. That need may or may not be filled. So step one, go to the plugin store, see if it's available or something that I can use. Right. If it's not, step two is build your own, right? And now Craft 3, you have the choice between plugins and modules. So you kind of move into 3B or excuse me, 2B, which is am I building this for us specifically for this one project right. or as a module or am I building this as a plugin in a more generic way where I can put this out into the world have other people use it. Now, the best case scenario is when the client covers the cost of you putting a plugin out into the world. It mm. doesn't always go down like that, but that's ideal. Um, so, you know, if somebody doesn't want to pay for your plugin, you probably don't want them as a customer. And then what was the other question you asked? Just, I mean, I guess, how are you deciding on pricing? I, th- uh, I think Ben Parizic will have a lot to say about that too. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. Set, I'll say... I don't know because okay. <laughs> that's a really hard one. That's a really, really hard one. I think that you see you right now, you see pricing across the whole spectrum. You see free plugins that are solid. You see expensive mm-hmm. plugins that are not worth what you're paying for them. Right. Uh, and you see a ton of ground in the middle. I'd say that the price range in general is anywhere from zero to a hundred dollars for 99% of plugins. Right. Now, where something falls on that spectrum is entirely up to the developer, what they think that's worth. I tend to base my pricing off of two things. One is how much uh, effort did I put into getting it to where it is? And two, how much support does it demand, right? Like some plugins, you put them out to the world, nobody ever asks you a question, they just use them and that's the end of it. Uh, and if those are what? free... It's fine. Yeah, I know. I've, I've <laughs> never had that happen. <laughs> Unfamiliar I've with never, that. I've never, ever, ever put anything out there that no one has asked me a question. <laughs> maybe, maybe never is a little extreme, but you know, like, like CPCSS, right? Like that plugin's been out for like five or six years. And mm-hmm. over five or six years, I've probably had maybe two dozen questions about it ever. Right. Uh, but it's like a, it's like a three file plugin, right? There's, there's, just not much to it. But, yeah. you know, that's probably not going to be something that you're charging for, right? If you're charging for a plugin, you're charging for it because, uh, you know, not only is there demand, but people are going to come back to you with questions or feature requests or bug reports or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I, for what it's worth, I mean, I've been doing software pricing and stuff for a long time. And to some extent, it doesn't matter how much work you put into it. Like, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> Right. I mean, unfortunately, because you could write something super complicated that just takes a horrendous amount of time. But what really matters is the value to the people who potentially would buy it. Right. But I also think and and I think Ben Parizic may have something to say on this as well, is that it matters who you want as customers. Right. Like, I think it's fine to price something really high and you'll get people complaining that they then are not going to buy it because it's too much money. I can't use it on my site. You know, the budget is only blah, blah, blah. And I think that's fine. Like they don't have to use it, right? I mean, they're not forced to use it, but by pricing it a certain way, you ensure that your clients are going to be a certain kind of client, right? In terms of like, I'm pricing this so that only agencies will buy it, for instance. Uh, Mark, especially because I got you on here late, what do you uh, what do you have to say about that? Maybe pursuant to the pricing of your GraphQL plugin, perhaps. Mark, you got to unmute your microphone, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah, it's a little bit. And you know, I think what's 
what's interesting, I think, about this conversation and about what, what you were mentioning earlier with the, the craft um, partners and kind of a move towards uh, I don't know, maybe a little enterprise um, or maybe towards enterprise is that I, I actually see the most kind of sticker shock or price fear in the enterprise clients that I've worked with. Um, and mm. it's partially just because they're nickel and diming and it's partially because they've kind of drunk the open source Kool-Aid with, you know, right. free and open source. Anyone can work on it. If the developer, you know, the hit by the bus scenario, we, either someone else will pick it up, um, that sort of stuff. So I've, it's funny that I, I think a lot of what we're talking about applies to the, the probably like one to 50 person agencies looking to buy plugins. But then once you get north right. of that, I think the, the decision mental model completely changes in terms of, in terms of pricing. And it's almost, you, you either price it so high that the enterprise says, yeah, this is, you know, a cost that we're willing to pay for, or you price it free because that's the other thing they're looking for. And I, I always wonder, does the price of craft itself almost set a ceiling on what you can then ask for, for a plugin? Like when they're saying mm-hmm. craft, at least for the, the typical pro licenses, $299, people, I think, inevitably are going to say, okay, how is your plugin worth half a craft or worth two thirds a craft? Just for fun, I was taking a look at a plugin called Site Attention that is an SEO plugin for Drupal, Sitecore, and then they also have a WordPress version for Sitecore. And Andrew, you're going to love this. Um, For up to a 500 page website, they charge 202 euros per month for the plugin. They do it by page? Um, by page, by how many <laughs> SEO optimized pages you have. It tops out at up to 50,000 pages at 1,080 euro per month. Oh, I'm um, in the wrong, I'm in the wrong <laughs> business. <laughs> That's for a single license. So, yeah, I'm interested too if any of you think, you know, does crafts pricing impact what you feel your ceiling is? Well, I'll, I'll say that I think with, with the introduction of craft commerce, which came out at $999. Mm-hmm. I think that was a shock to a lot of people. But I think it also sent a clear message, uh, which was that there is no cap to what you can charge for a plugin. And also this idea of, you know, every plugin should be from zero or, or let's say from $9 to $99. And uh, it kind of blew that out of the water. Also, there there is... um. In the official Craft 3 documentation, there is a page that basically tells you what you, how you should choose a price for your plugin. With mm-hmm. uh, I think there are kind of four tiers. And, and I've always looked at that and kind of used that as a guide and haven't really, much thought, haven't really thought much beyond that because really, I think, I think it'll, it'll, you know, the price of a plugin will never justify how much work you actually put in. Uh, and th- the question sure. is, um, you know, what do you think this is worth? What do you think someone will pay for it? And w- what's just a fair price, I think? I, th- I think the other question there is, what will it take you to stay in business and for it to keep your interest and actually yes. support people properly with it if you're putting a price on it? Uh, when we when we initially priced, we priced a lot of our plugins at 99 and at the time, that was, we were coming out of the expression engine ecosystem, a lot of the craft community and the, the plugin community there was kind of failing and falling apart and developers were disappearing right and left. And it was clear that they weren't, I mean, I think for many reasons, <laughs> one perhaps was that a lot of the plugin developers weren't charging properly to stay in business perhaps, or, or have an incentive to stay in business. So I, I think to that end, Craft has done a very good job at not only encouraging people and trying to kind of give those guides to help us feel more comfortable pricing higher, 
but they've also kind of institu- trying or are trying to institutionalize this idea of recurring billing in their ecosystem that software isn't free over time. It does require maintenance and support. And having that alone really helps, I've found helps with conversations with clients in many different ways, trying to communicate to them that, you know, we're not just going to put your website up and, and disappear here and everything's going to run smooth forever. There's going to be ongoing costs mm-hmm. and having the price signals from the ecosystem that that's true, very helpful. Yeah. And I I think when we did the interview with Brandon, Brandon Kelly from Pixel and Tonic, we kind of talked about this a little bit and he made a really good point. I think I had mentioned very similar to what Lindsay mentioned, which was, well, look, if you, if you bill out at, you know, a hundred dollars an hour, how many hours is it going to take you to replicate the, the price of this plugin? That's $49, right? And just do the simple math, which one is better away you go, right? He made the point that in addition to that, if you buy this plugin, the plugin developer is very likely going to be continuing to work on it and you're not going to have to pay for it, you know, above and beyond any uh, renewal fee that might be in there. And he said, I guarantee you that that plugin developer is going to do more with the plugin than you are going to do for this site that you have shipped for your clients, unpaid work, improving it. Right. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a simple example, let's, let's say that SEOmatic, I don't want to use it. I'm not paying 99 bucks for that thing. I'm just going to implement everything myself. Right. Fine. You spend, you know, the 20 hours or whatever it is to do that. You ship it to the client. Are you actually going to improve that in a year from now without the client paying you? I, I doubt it. You know, you can, you can probably, I, I had a, a learning experience in starting to develop a commerce plugin for craft. We spent 800 hours internally on a, a commerce plugin and then pixel and tonic came out with theirs. And I think it's dessert. I think that needs to be handled at the first party level. So I think mm-hmm. it's a good decision. I have my, I have my moments of trauma about it all, but overall I'm happy where everything stands right now. And but it's helped me again, kind of communicate this with clients when we're putting a commerce plugin on a site that costs a thousand dollars or whatever. I have that experience to say, "Hey, we worked eight hundred hours on a plugin that wasn't even half as good as this one is these days," mm. and and you're essentially buying that many hours of work to do something on your or your site, or not eight hundred. You could probably divide the number of people on pixel and tonics team by number of hours in the year and take a guess at how many hours they put into their products. But I imagine it's hundreds and hundreds of hours that you're, you're buying for a pretty low cost. And and when you compare that to your hourly rate, a client can quickly see what they're getting. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And, and speaking of, of pain points, I have a question for the plugin developers here, and and this is purely self-serving. But what are the things that you find least enjoyable <laughs> about doing plug-in development for Craft? And I, I can tell you mine. And I, I apologize, Brandon. You know I love you. I can't stand Garnish. Like, I can't wait until Garnish doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> not, that, not that it isn't, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's very well written and all that. But it's not documented at all. And... I have gone in there and I've learned enough of Garnish to do like basic things, but I hope to never learn any more about it. Does anyone else have any pain points of, of doing yeah. plugin dev they want to talk about? I'll, well, first, let me lightly second the Garnish note. Um, <laughs> I don't have the animosity that you do, but um, but everything that you're saying is true, it, you know, and, and 
Maybe there's a point in the future where it gets replaced by Vue. Uh, I, I don't know enough to say. It's purely speculation. Okay. But um, I think that there's a reason why at this point there's still nothing documented about Garnish. So let's, let's just keep our fingers crossed that that's a good sign. Um, but I would say my personal pain point mm. uh, is testing migrations. Mm. Uh, nothing is – well, not nothing – but few things are more frustrating than testing a migration because you basically have to reset the database, right. uh, run your process, keep your fingers crossed that it did what you wanted to do. And then when you want to test it again, you have to reset your database, uh, whatever other changes may have been made, uh, and then you know rinse, repeat. And so I just find that to be such a tedious process. If only someone made scripts that made it super easy to pull in a database. <laughs> If, if only, only, I guess we'll never know. Mark, what about your pain points, Mark? Uh, second, the testing. Testing's really hard, I think, especially for plugin um, right. development because you don't have there. You have a hard time figuring out kind of first. I, I personally, I should say, have a hard time figuring out what to test. You know, I don't want to test craft itself. I just right. want to test my plugin. But at the same time, my plugin is so tightly tied to pieces of craft that I kind of have to somehow involve craft in it. Um, so there's there's the whole like academic side of it but just on a practical side there i don't i haven't found a great tool yet that allows me to keep my plugin repository with just my plugin but my test includes all of craft plus a database plus some content plus something mm -hmm. that i can it's hard to spin all that up and and have kind of a you know one push one push test you can feel good about i think the project configs get us a lot closer because at least now we can you know put some test or some mocked you know structures into our into our repository but we still need a great way to get some sample content or seeded content into there before we can really test everything, I think. Now, I'm going to give you a secret, Mark, that may may help you out with this whole testing. And <laughs> I think I'd be interested to hear from uh, Nate as well, because I think he is probably doing more with unit and acceptance testing than I am. But the secret to testing your plugin, Mark, are you ready for it? I'm excited. Interns. Interns. <laughs> Put a monkey on a typewriter. Uh -huh. Okay, and have yeah, them bang away. For. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Nate, how do you how do you do? You have any pain points? How do you deal with testing and uh, unit testing, acceptance testing? Like, I haven't even gone down that road because I feel like there needs to be more infrastructure from Pixel and Tonic before it's even worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel the same way, and I think at the dot all they they touched on the lack of testing across the the application itself, and you know, as developers, and I think just as sanity for the the work that we're doing, we want to have confidence in it and testing is a great way to do that. So, you know, we started spearheading our own initiative to, to get tests in some of our plugins, but it's tough. I mean, you know, there yeah. are other developers out there who have their own scaffolding set up for testing. And so you're just kind of picking parts of each and putting them together and experimenting, which Obviously, you know, that just takes time. We got to a place where we're pretty comfortable with some unit testing. But I mean, our our biggest pain point is the documentation side, too. So, you know, writing mm. the documentation, maintaining that documentation, it's one thing to write, you know, your doc blocks and have, you know, clean code. But the other thing is to write the documentation. So right behind documentation is the testing. And so, you know, it's both of those are our, our biggest pain points. Uh, yeah. And, and and anyone, correct me if I'm wrong or if you have found a better way to do this or you think that I'm just being lazy, but I've looked at it from the point of view that I'm not going to go out and try and implement my own kind of unit or just general testing environment. I'm going to wait until 
there is that kind of sandbox from Pixel and Tonic to test the whole app. And then then I'm going to kind of leverage myself into that. Is anyone else doing their own, you know, doing testing on your own? And am I am I wrong that I, I just feel like it would be not a waste of time, but maybe to some extent, I think you know, Josh somewhat was, futile? Was Josh, were you doing some testing for future? Yeah, we, we set up um, unit testing with um, Codeception, I think. Um, for yeah. FeedMe, just because we were getting a bit sick of all the massive edge cases with um, <laughs> just people's feeds mapping to things correctly. And, and that was really mm-hmm. good for, for that. But I have to agree, Andrew, that, that that was a lot of work to set up. Yeah. And that that's, yeah, it would be great to see something from Craft and from the Pixel and Tonic guys that would help at least bootstrap that or or. or um, yeah, some sort of framework around that to formalize, you know, this is how you do testing. Because, I mean, testing's better for everyone, really. We all know that we should be doing it, but, um, right. you know, it's just about trying to make that as easy as possible. So, I th- yeah. I think back in Craft 2, they actually included a test suite at, at one point in time, and then I don't think anything ever came of that. And then it was a really large size, and so they removed it from the download. Well, and, and here's my problem with it is I don't want to be doing unit testing just to say that I'm doing unit testing, right? I want there to be real, meaningful, repro- reproducible tests that will help. In, and and some plugins are way harder to test than others in terms of expected behaviors and, and code paths and all that kind of stuff. And it really just feels to me like it would just be way too much work for me to do any kind of useful, comprehensive testing on most of the plugins without there being some kind of a framework there to help me out. I mean, do you guys think I'm nuts or what? No, I completely agree with you. I think um, something official from from Craft would go a long way in terms of making it easier to do um, to do that sort of testing because I I think there are a lot of people reinventing the same wheel um, to try to get you know something usable. Not just reinventing the same wheel, but just like I mean you're kind of limited in terms of how good you can make that without there being a, a framework that you can nestle into, right? I mean, okay, it's software, so there's really yeah. no limit, right? Because it's how much time do you want to put into it, but, you know? Yeah, I think it depends. And I think it's not just an issue of the testing toolkit. I I think the app architecture of Craft and the way that's evolving is moving us in a right direction, right? It's a lot easier to test things in Craft th- three than in craft two much less like hand wavy magic methods magic things <laughs> right um you know it's it's easier to mock stuff there's there's a little bit like the dependency management is is uh, a bit more sane and so a lot of it comes down not only to how your your plugin is is talking to craft but how is your plugin itself architected relative to its own like business logic and you know are you making things that are easily mockable uh, and methods that are easily testable right and so i don't like i'm not looking for pixel and tonic to tell me how to test my plugins i think it'd be great if the plugin dev community adopted some some i guess best practices like if there was more talk about best practices and more examples of best practices for testing around craft plugins like that's a thing that I'm looking forward to contributing to and that I'm looking forward to like digging into to how other developers are 
are starting to test their plugins more rigorously. So I think that like seeing how Pixel and Tonic tests craft and how they suggest testing plugins is useful, but I I don't think it's like the end all. I'm waiting for that and then I'll just do whatever and nothing else variables yeah and i guess so for developers that are hoping to to join the next meeting of the cabal and be one of you i mean where i guess where are you on in terms of learning and developing your skills ben croker i know you've done some work with that what 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 are your thoughts well i actually wanted to to throw a question uh into Mm. the into the room for the other people here which is um what steps do you take uh, to further your learning and develop your skills when it comes to craft and plugin development? So, for example, do you set time aside every day, every week, every month uh, specifically for learning? Or are you generally just learning on the job? Or are you taking part in, I don't know, some sort of coding challenge? Or Yeah, I was just going to say, I do a weekly coding challenge. I find that to be very helpful. <laughs> Yeah, but but I th- well, seriously though, curious, I, yeah. I I do. I, yeah, it's a great <laughs> question. It's a great question. And all snark aside, I really do appreciate your coding challenge, Ben. It's it's pretty awesome. It's a lot of fun to do. But I would say that a lot of my personally, a lot of my learning is, I guess you'd just call it on the job learning. You just deal with mm-hmm. the needs of the project. You deal with the needs of the plugin. I would say you know when somebody comes to you with a feature request on a plugin and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure how to tackle it. You do the research. And sometimes it's a matter of doing research that goes beyond code itself. In fact, Ben Croker, you know, you said something like this recently. I don't remember when you were talking about the campaign plugin and one of the things that you said was that you had to just do a lot of learning about what makes campaigns tick even even beyond how to code it but just you know what is a campaign and and all the loose ends that tie together yeah well it's it's not a what the problem that campaign solves is not a difficult problem it's just that there's so much complexity because there's so many things related to so many other things and there is a, a very nice saying first solve the problem then write the code but as we all know, we, we kind of, we figure out the problem by writing the code. Uh, we don't essentially solve the problem, uh, but we figure out what the problem is by getting into the code. So, so that's a tricky one. That's, that's a tricky one because understanding the problem is half the battle. A sidebar to learning. I, I find when working with products, whether it's my IDE or craft or whatever that you work with regularly, that rereading the documentation every few months is helpful. And I will, I will literally try to read the documentation cover to cover every few months because they update it. You didn't realize features got added. And after a while, you're scanning a lot of it because it's familiar, but often often you find something that's just a very simple feature that you just didn't even realize was there. And on, on flights, I often try to do that with the code and just like click on it, every file in the code one by one. <laughs> so in, in terms of learning, uh, so I think there are, there are two types of people in this world, right? So when you were a kid and your parents told you that's hot, don't touch it. One type of kid says, oh, it's hot. I'm not going to touch it. And the other one reaches out and burns themselves, Right. <laughs> And I was the kid that reached out and burned myself, right? So I'm I'm naturally curious, and I think that that curiosity has helped me quite a bit um, because I'll see something and I'll want to try and figure out how someone did it, or I'll see something in craft and I want to try and figure out how they did it. And then sometimes, you know, see if I can 
do it better or whatever. But in terms of learning, I think that, Josh, you're, you're not going to want to hear this, but in terms of learning, I think using PHP Storm has been huge for me in learning PHP because I am someone that I've been developing for a long time, but PHP is relatively new to me. Uh, and PHP Storm helped me out a ton in terms of getting on board with modern practices. It even tells you how you could write it better and it formats everything nicely for you. It's just fantastic. And Does then Josh the other part is PHP Storm. No. What? <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I know that I need to do it. And that's um, that's what my uh, my Christmas break will be doing. Getting into it properly. Oh, you were going to be, oh man, this is going to be like when Andrew, I mean, he wrote yes. the first SEOmatic without it. And and then, you know, we can see how well things have gone since. Yeah, yeah. this no, is going to be huge. I, I, I know that um, it's something I need to do. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's honestly time. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll speak as, um, as future you, Josh, because last year my Christmas break was learning PHP Storm. Uh, there's a real learning curve there. Uh, I don't yeah. know what you're on right now. I came from Sublime. Yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, Sublime. And, and I love Sublime. Like, I love Sublime. Like, it's so great. But it is not an IDE. And I I don't like the premise of an IDE because it's so bloated, in my opinion, like from the Eclipse days but, you know, back in the day. But the reality is, is like Patrick's saying, like, it just helps you – learn it it the way it links everything together and it, it it interprets your project in a real intelligent way uh in ways that sublime just will never compare so yes there's a learning curve yes you will spend months cursing the keyboard shortcuts <laughs> but once right. you get past that like you know fast forward three four months of your life into the future you will be a much happier camper yeah, yeah, look, well, I, I certainly it, wouldn't use um, what I do as a, a best practice or anything like that. Um, don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do what I do. Um, Unit test with sublime text. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look, one of our um, one of our other developers used PHP Storm, and you know, he came looked looked at it from converting our Craft Two plugins to Craft Three, and you know, scratch his head, going at Craft Two. What, what, what does all this do? You know, and right. you look at Craft Three, and it's like you know, composer namespaces. It's all just modern PHP best practices right. and using PHP Storm. He's like, yep, this is how it should be. I'm like, yeah, all right, I need to get on board. I totally agree. I totally agree with what you're saying, but just to throw one little wrench in there. If you are an expert craftsman, I think the tool matters less. Like, and this blew my mind, but Taylor Otwell creator of Laravel, Laravel, Paravel, whatever. He uses Sublime. <laughs> it, it, it blew my mind. And obviously he seems to be doing all right with it. I'm sorry to whoever I cut off. Go ahead. That's me. Um, no, I just wanted to say to Lindsay's comment, I, I know what you mean about the learning curve, but I think PHP Storm has come a long way in the last couple of years so that learning it is also much easier. I mean, that that just could be my opinion and I could be wrong, but I think... Um, I think it's much easier to jump into it now, especially with uh, Craft 3 and everything being tied to, together with namespacing. Right. Yeah, I, and I think that's all true. And and, and I didn't mean for my uh, critique to be unfair. Mm. I think uh, the, the joke I made about the keyboard shortcuts is real. The struggle is real. I mean, I, I am still to this point a year later cursing <laughs> The, it's the select all and so, you know, select next. You can, you you can, can change all, all those. those. Yeah. Keep sure, up. Yeah. sure, you can. But I didn't. Oh, All right. well, here's a tip. Here's a tip for you, Josh. Remap your keyboard shortcuts when you when you start on PHP Storm. And I will say, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I will say one more thing. Yeah, if you um, have a couple of uh, days over Christmas, the Christmas break, uh, that you want to kill with uh, watching a video about PHP Storm, I, I may have a video for you by then. Oh, crap. I'm going to feel terrible <laughs> saying this, but I already was going to say, Ben, that a, a good way to look at it is to go to Laracast and they have a... Jeffrey Way did a Being Awesome in PHP Storm. Yep. That's excellent. And literally, he came from using Sublime and in the videos, he goes through remapping stuff to look, feel, and have the keyboard shortcuts that Sublime has. Right. Well, yeah. I, I, got halfway, I got halfway through that series. Okay. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Nate, what do you use or, or any other thoughts we want to Go on before we uh, start to wrap up. Yeah, I mean, PHP Storms is pretty integral. And I think that's really helping just the navigation of code, right? To be able to drill into things easier and to be able to break, stop, and do all the things for debugging purposes, which is just really nice to have kind of in the IDE. But beyond that, I mean, there are tools like code quality tools that you can run against your plugins, uh, code climate, scrutinizer. Those sorts of things will give you some insights as to like how well your code's written, is it PSR compliant, things like that. And I also think it's helpful just to look beyond ye and craft outside of you know other frameworks and, and mm-hmm. PHP applications to see what they're doing because I think we can get a little closed in here's what the craft community is doing. Sure. And I think there's a lot of value outside of that in you know the Laravel world that uh, we could kind of bring in into into craft and into our plugins as well. So yeah, and I think that I mean that brings us back to the original question around learning and how everyone is handling their uh, their non IDE based learning. Yeah, and and Nate, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You pronounced it Laravel. <laughs> thank you. I'm not I'm not the only one that that does that. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, so it's Louisville. So Laravel kind yeah. of flows right off the tongue there. Ah, oh, good. I mean, I feel I feel so much better about myself. I mean, thank you for doing that. I, I wanted, if I could, I wanted to play. Like a little, like a little guessing game to see how how good I am at guessing this stuff. So I'm gonna go through everyone here, and I'm gonna guess what your best selling craft plugin is. All right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through the list. You can tell me how how well I did. All right. So Josh, I'm gonna say it's Feed Me Pro. Mm, yeah. Yes. Sort of. Well, no, actually, you're probably wrong. Oh God. All right. What is it? Uh, navigation. Oh, the navigation one. Yeah, I should have thought of that. That's another like very general purpose one that probably everyone buys. Yeah. All right, so Ben. That's, that's, a, that's actually, yeah, that is actually one that we tried to price low purposefully to right. try and do the old. Well, when thing. I say best selling, yeah. I'm talking dollars. Well, yeah, it is probably, it's okay. probably just beating saving. All right. All right, Ben Croker, I am going to guess, and I know it's relatively new, but I still think it's going to be the Blitz plugin. And I'm talking just Craft 3, like forget about Craft 2 anything. Yeah. Well, like you say, it was only released a couple of months ago, but uh, if you're looking at yep. month over month, yeah, it's definitely my best selling. All right. Patrick, unreleased, so we're going to go. Yeah. You. <laughs> my long rumored plug-in. Your, your code kit adapter for Craft. <laughs> ben Parizic, I am going to say it is Sprout Forms. It is. Nice. Oh. Nice. Try All right, so today. Plugin store. <laughs> so Nate, I'm gonna say it's organizations. Ah, oh, it's actually SAML. Ah, yeah. damn. <laughs> I should have guessed that just because of the the pricing yeah. on it. All right, Lindsay, Smart Map. Yeah, that's gotta an be easy Smart one. Map. It's gotta, gotta be, be Smart Map, one. right? Yep. If All you right. go by most downloads, it's CPCSS, but that one's free, so it doesn't count. Right. All right. 
So now we are on to Well, no. Michael. How about you, Andrew? Oh, well, I'll go last. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm fine with doing it. Well, yeah. all right. I'll just answer it now. Yeah. So it's SEOmatic. Yeah, SEOmatic <laughs> is is definitely <laughs> the, the best selling one. Yeah. It's um, not route map. Okay. It's <laughs> route map is free, dude. Oh, yeah. That, that, uh. <laughs> the, the the vast majority of my plugins are are free. It's right? not. Wait, it's not Twigpack. Twigpack. <laughs> Hey, Twigpack is awesome, but it is also free. Okay, God, I would have guessed Image Optimized. Image Optimized does well, but by far SEOmatic does the the best. And I think the the reason is that that's something that every client wants and cares about, right? Just like navigation for Josh is something that is very universal for every project. All right, Giant so Michael, just be damned. <laughs> yeah, Michael, I am going to guess that it is Search Plus. That's tricky. Because you did say Craft Three only sold a lot of Search Plus. In fact, all of my Craft Three plugins so far are free. Printmaker is right, so the one when, that that by dollars has over its lifetime done the best. When can you go on record? When can we get back to you on the whole Craft Three thing for shipping paying plugins? Yeah, talk to me at Christmas. Christmas, nice. I like it. You can have a little present for everybody. I didn't say and, that. I just said talk to me at Christmas. Oh. Oh, okay. Mark Hewitt, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's got to be CraftQL. That's the only one, right? That's the only one. Now, how come I can't find it in the plugin store? That's a good question. I'm not even kidding. So if I search on, I searched on GraphQL, I searched on just Graph. Yeah, it should come up. They, well, there. okay. So I haven't looked, but I will say this. Brandon made a change this morning. Oh. If your composer file does not specify the required version of craft, it may there. have gotten delisted huh. as of this morning. Oh. Yeah. Now, Brandon said that there's about 35 people that he made note of that he will specifically reach out to who were missing that requirement. So, Mark, expect a phone call in the next couple of days. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking at Mark's composer. It can't be an RC. Like, it has to be like a three dot something as your required version. Yeah, yeah but Mark has it there. Well has yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But I, I, I tried every search term that I could, and I could not find CraftQL. And I searched even on CraftQL. Are you on 3.1 or 3.0? I'm on 3.1. I wonder if it's because of the requirement that it's keeping it to a major version rather than a minor? Uh, like it's saying it may not be safe on minor releases? No, because he's got the, the little oh, carrot. Oh, yeah, he's got the carrot. Okay. The carrot, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't know, but I'm just telling you, like, I can't. So, I mean, I may have just made you tons of money, but I can't find it. <laughs> like, if I wanted to buy it, I could not find it. But is, is that your best seller? I think we know what Mark's doing after this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Is that your best seller, Mark? That's my only seller. So, my, my turn is also my best seller. <laughs> Should be back yeah. to normal by the time you all hear this. Yeah. Well, does anyone, I mean, we, we've been on here for a while, and I I, I understand that the audience for this discussion is probably kind of small, right? I mean, I think that the majority of people that are interested in hearing about plugin development for craft may be on the podcast right now. But I hope people have found it somewhat interesting. But does anyone else have anything that they really wanted to bring up or or ask any particular dev here in terms of, you know, how they're handling stuff or whatever. And I'll, I'll say for myself real quick, I have said a personal, like, so verb.io has been my inspiration because I think they did a fantastic job creating a slick marketing and documentation website. So my goal is the end of January, 2019, I'm going to have all of that up and on my website. And that is, uh, you know, a goal of mine and something I want to do. Does anyone else have any uh, thing that they want to ask a particular person that's here? 
Well, uh, yeah. Something. Go ahead, Lindsay. I, I, well, I I don't think we have enough time, but I really wanted to talk to you guys about additions. Additions. Well, yeah. Let's. So let's talk about. It. Oh, uh, are, uh, and after time? we talk. Yeah, we got time. So after that, I do have one other thing I wanted to ask everyone here too. So additions. So what do you want to know about it, Lindsay? Everything. I want to know what people think because right now we're in this weird situation where if you want multiple editions, you have to have mm-hmm. multiple copies of the same plugin. Right. Josh, I'm looking at you. You know, you will have your free version and then your pro version. I think the official line is that when editions is released for craft in 3.1, we're going to be in this situation where, well, there's a lot of things. For one, Pixel and Tonic is going to have to approve any addition changes that we make. Two, I, I'm really curious to hear people's thoughts as to if they're going to go a free and pro route or a light and pro route. You know, uh, basically, I, I'm just curious. I just want to know what people are thinking on this. I can tell you that I'm not, but that's not because I think additions are bad. It's because none of my plugins are have functionality that is just intuitively tiered in that way. So so I, I'm going to kind of keep it simple for my own sanity. I am, however, very interested in how that approval process is going to work for additions, especially surrounding like price changes and our ability to like change prices based on, you know, promotions or seasons or, you know, increase prices over the lifetime of, of a product or something like that as we add add functionality. I am really interested to see how that plays out, even though at the moment I, I don't have plans to to use additions for my stuff. Well I think um I think Brandon mentioned like people, plugin developers should be really, really responsible with their use of additions. So most plugins shouldn't be tiered necessarily or they would they would maybe discourage it. I know for us we'll we'll I think there's there's probably only one plugin that we'll use additions for, which is FeedMe. You can import entries for free, and then any importing into any other element requires the the paid version. We we haven't actually scoped it out, but we we just need to get in touch with Brandon and the team to to sort that out. But um, yeah, look, we we don't have any other plans to it, use additions. We're just going to keep it simple. So I have two thoughts on it. So one is that so a plugin like SEOmatic does open itself up to having like a pro tier. But my other thought about it that I have voiced in the the plugin store channel is that I I, I am still and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm still thinking about like there might be some value to making all of my plugins free if you're not on a Craft Pro license. Right. So, I mean, let's say that I'm a a freelancer and I want to spin up a site for uh, myself or a buddy of mine, and it's not going to be a craft pro site. Like, I I wouldn't mind if they installed SEO Matic, got the benefit from it, got familiar with it, and then would want to use it on any of their paying client projects. How do you folks feel about potentially having your plugins be free if the craft license that they're using is free. The support would be pretty tricky to sort out, wouldn't it, Andrew? Yeah, it would. It would. So, I feel like that, it'd be nice that maybe you could opt into that, yeah. yeah. Hmm. But craft, I mean, Pixel and Tonic does it, right? Yeah, I mean, I personally don't love the idea, but that's more of a gut instinct than actual fact. I, I don't I don't know why I feel that way, but I don't I don't love the idea of tying my plugin edition to craft's edition. Hmm. It would be interesting to try to evaluate that decision if they would reveal the weight of the different licenses, like how many 
Right. You know, how many people use one or the other? How many switch between the two? How many support requests do they get <laughs> from each audience? Right. I don't know if they'd ever share that type of information with us. You both make a good point. We are in the support business when we make plugins. Sorry, I think go perhaps ahead. Perhaps one of the issues with that idea, although I like the idea, but I think one of the issues is is support. And we've talked a little bit about support today, but right. if the idea is to have a free version so more people can use it and you have uh, more potential uh, users, you also have more potential support requests. And how do you differentiate between, mm -hmm. you know, somebody emails you and how do you know if they're a paying customer or a free customer? And do you want to start having to differentiate and, you know, ask them and go check their license key and all of that? Um, and support is a, is a huge time consumer for us plugin developers. And that's what we offer, right? We offer uh, up to a year of support when you buy a license and then there are the re renewal fees. But how do we deal with free licenses? That's always a tricky one. I don't want to say to anybody using my, my, my plugins, whether they're free or not, I'm not going to help you with this issue. So how do we justify that? Well, and then again, that's where the additions come in because if somebody has downloaded the free edition of your plugin, you technically still owe them the support. I mean, obviously, like, you know, O is relative, but, um, you know, if somebody downloaded your plugin last week for free in the free edition versus downloaded mm -hmm. your plugin last week in the pro edition, don't you have an equal obligation to support both people? I think it depends on the expectations that you've set up for yourself. You know, if I have a, a little free plugin and and i've seen this on lots of plugin uh, github repos for free plugins like this plugin is offered without support as a helpful thing but please don't call me and ruin my life asking <laughs> me a million questions about it love the developer and i've seen that and i think that's fair i think if you set clear expectations up front then you don't owe anybody anything that you haven't committed to owe them yeah Mark, any any thoughts before we close out? Uh, no, I think one thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about but is interesting and came up tangentially just now is one thing that I think would help to plug in developers a lot is more reporting from, from Craft itself. You mm. know, when we're making decisions like what version of PHP do we need to support, we're going to support whatever Craft supports. But I think there's things like that that would be a lot of help and would allow us to figure out those sorts of questions. Do we need additions? Do we not? You know, how many, how many users have it installed as a development site that's not live yet, how many users have it installed in a production site, things like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you that the CraftNet APIs definitely need some work. And I think that they know that it needs some work. Unfortunately, something else that needs work is I have to <laughs> go. So that about wraps it up for another episode of the demo.fm podcast. <laughs> like that transition, what everybody? A segue. Well played. That was great. Yes. Uh, to have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes and Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Michael Rogg. And I want to thank all of the plugin developers that came on here. I apologize if I talk too much, and I also apologize if we didn't uh, get to you, but maybe we should do it again. I'm okay Absolutely. with that.
and I really do apologize for talking too much. It's just my nature. Um, but in addition to that, I really do have to go because my, I got to get my kids. Um, so everyone just wait until everything uploads.